Hello and welcome to the Super Show podcast. I am your host today, Alex Jones, and I am joined, as always, by the ever-wonderful Jamie. Uh, how the hell are you doing, my good sir? Oh, I'm doing wonderfully. It's a joy to be here. Um, thank you for having me. Delighted to be able to just talk about games. Um, something I rarely get the opportunity to do. It's, you know, sometimes I dream, Jonesy, of a day where I might have a platform once a week to just sit down with someone else and chat about the video games industry. But for now, this will have to do. I am so glad that you said that because, of course, we are, in fact, your one-stop shop, your weekly dose of video game news, even on weeks like this week where there's not actually that much going on. But we have... <laughs> yeah. um, scoured the internet we have squeezed reddit for all that it is worth and we've plucked uh for some juicy some not so juicy stories that we're gonna uh, hit you up with this week um in the world of video games i'm trying to give it more pizzazz <laughs> no I, I like that you left it ambiguous as well like some interesting some not so interesting but you haven't outlined which one's which so people might need to wait right to the end of the podcast to get to the best fucking they don't know is it like, are we going to be sat here for two hours and is the best bit of podcasting actually going to be that last five minutes? You're going to have to sit here at one time speed to find uh, out. Uh, what's, yeah, none of that two times speed bollocks. Come on, stick with us. One time speed, one time speed yep. through. Sit through it. Sit through the agony in real time. <laughs> exactly. Um, we are, of course, on all uh, podcasting platforms that you can imagine. I'm talking um, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts. I'm guessing not Stitcher, as apparently they're going buff. See it really? I'm pretty, <laughs> really in there, what? I'm pretty sure I, I saw something that Stitch is closing down. Um, I think it's from like August or something, unfortunately. Um, but we're also available on YouTube and Twitter. You can reach us at Super Show Pod if you would like to on any of those platforms. Uh, send us a cheeky DM, and if one of us remembers to check our Twitter, we will uh, get back to you. Mm-hmm. Um, easiest place to talk to us is, of course, on YouTube. This video uh, will be going out Monday, but we are not live. We're doing that cheeky thing they used to do when I was a kid when they pre-record something. And they pretended to laugh. So this is a premiere yeah. that you can enjoy. Um, For anyone in that, um, yeah, well, that's part of the reason. The other reason is, I don't know if jo- anyone caught this uh, peek behind the curtain, but Josie actually said a racial slur in last week's live broadcast. We had to, you know, c- you know, reel it all back in. We had to completely rework it, use some visual effects magic to hide it. And so now everything we have to do has to be pre-recorded and vetted by a team of uh, specialists. And, well, it's a cross we have to bear now. In my defense, I didn't even know they were classified as a race. So they're they're up and coming. You know, there are there are many of them out there, but it's they're a growing breed. That's yeah. I, you don't know no one knows who or what I'm talking about. No, I know it's brilliant. It's brilliant. Um, and it's yeah. It's, I'd see now. I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say it's not true because we sold that so well <laughs> that now people are gonna think that that's actually real. I shouldn't have said that because then people would have gone back to last week no. to hear what we'd actually said. But there was nothing. No, he's very funny like that um, and Josie's smart enough to keep all his racial slurs to off the broadcast exactly uh you can also listen to us on paisleyradio.com thursdays at 10 p.m repeated mondays at 10 p.m so there is no excuse to miss a weekly dose of the super show podcast um John, we we i was thinking about this last week i want a hoodie with um hot takes on the front trash opinions on the back i was actually thinking about this but i don't want a like logo because it would like SS, that's what someone's going to want to do. They'll have to go full yes. super show. That's the problem. Yeah, that's the problem we've always had is that, like, and cr- trust us, cr- like, Chris tried a number of different ways to try and, you know, rework different fonts and try and get the SS to look like anything but an SS, but it just didn't work. Um, so, yeah, 
some kind of slogan. Maybe you could have the hot takes at the at like kind of the top, like front and center, but then the trash opinions is actually at the bottom of the teeth, like a tramp stamp. So it's like the hot takes are coming out of our mouth and the trash opinions are coming out of our ass. They're both bad, but we're just spewing it from both ends. Great. So talking about the SS thing, um, I popped into... <laughs> That's not a segue anyone wants to hear. No, no but it is... A, I'll just briefly um, shout out to Amnestus, who I hopped on one of his live streams that he did. He was playing uh, um, uh, the Aliens Tactical uh, top-down game. Okay, yeah. The one that came out recently. Um Oh, well, I can't remember. It's like it, it didn't get as much buzz as I thought it was going to do, in spite of the fact that the reviews were actually okay. I yeah, so, I, I mean, do want to play it because the, it, just for the soundscape, like, was sounds fun. I love the alien soundscape; it's brilliant. Like those plasma rifles sound epic. That yeah, it was the same with Fire Team Elite. It's uh, the new one's called Dark Descent, but it was the same with Fire Team Elite, where like, yeah, those those gun sounds, especially after Aliens, so iconic. It was kind of like remember when uh, Star Wars Battlefront came back in 2015, and you were just like oh, they've got access to that full sound library and they are rinsing it for every penny. And you should, because stuff like that's fantastic. Like, that's that's what brings people back. Like, that sort of love of everything to do with a franchise. But no, so he was playing He was playing that and I sort of commented and said, like, great to see you streaming. And he replied and said, oh, nice to have one of the SS boys stop by. I thought, no. no. Oh, Jesus. Boys, not SS boys. Anyway, yep. uh, enough talk about Nazis. Um, yes. Let's well, I don't know. One of the two people in this story. Oh, in this story. Uh, okay. I'm wondering who you're talking about now. There's two people uh, in this next story that I'm going to talk about. I don't think either of them are. I heard that Nazis did like shiny shoes. That's all I'm going to say. Oh, uh, well, okay. I disavow and and separate myself from Jamie's comments because we're about to talk about the awesomeness is Nick Cage. And I happen to reference the fact that he was at Summer Game Fest with Jeff Keighley um, and Nick Cage was sort of uh, reminding us that he was going to be making an appearance in the DLC for Dead by Daylight in all of his Nick Cage glory. Um, and so uh, we've actually now finally managed to experience a small slice of that glorious pie, haven't we, Jamie? Because um, the public yeah. playtest for the DLC went live um, ahead of the game's release, 25th of July. And so people have... have at this point, got to play some Nick Cage. You got to be Nick Cage and experience the joy of his unbridled acting ability. Um, and as this, I think uh, maybe a first on the Super Show, we've actually got a clip, uh, some of the sound bites from Nicolas Cage that you've listened to already because due to our setup, and I've heard them too. So I'm going to play a few of them for the audience right now so they can get a little treat and the taste of Nick Cage. Here we go. Stop! I'm Nick fucking Cage! I'm going to pause it there because um, it was the one where he just goes, I'm Nick fucking Cage! Yeah. Which was basically, he should trademark that at this point. So I recently watched um, the, is it the overwhelming weight of unbearable talent? Is that what it's called? It, it, it's like I think it's a combination of words that, if not identical to that, is at least similar to that. Yeah, uh, with the unbearable weight, unbearable weight, right? Uh, with um, Pedro Pascal also starring. Mm. Um, I really liked it. I thought it was a yeah. lot of fun. This is that Nick Cage is is beautiful. It's like that level of over the top. I'm Nick fucking Cage. It was it was totally. It's pretty glorious. I'm going to give the audience another little snippet, Jamie, because I only gave them eight seconds. I feel like they need another ten seconds, and then we can. Do it. I'm not afraid. You can't kill me. I will live forever. Ah! 
I'm completely and totally and utterly cow tit fucked. Sonico, not you. Sonico, wait a minute, I live with Sonico. I mean, it's okay. Get me off the hook! Oh. All right, I'm going to have to stop it there, otherwise we're going to be here for another uh, minute just of Nick Cage gloriousness. But um, as you can hear, he's gone the full Nick Cage. He's being truly brilliant. Um, acting masterclass. So if you're, if you're excited about that and you want to hear some more, I guess either go on TikTok and listen to um, some compilations or, you know, YouTube shorts or something. Or maybe just wait for the game to come out on the 25th of July. Uh, I, know, I know that's just you doing that because that's where you saw it. And so it's the, like it, you can recommend people go there and you know they could at least find the same thing useful. But it is, it, uh, I don't know if I'm used to the fact that when we like, watch or listen to something, we recommend people go and find it on TikTok. I'm not used to that world yet. Oh, like yeah. It, yeah. Um, but yeah, he nailed it. Like, it reminded me of when Keely brought him out on stage and he was describing the, the process a little bit, describing the role a little bit. And one thing I think he, he points out at the time, and I'm sure he applies the same logic to Massive Talent as well, and I think this is the, the key of all of this, is that he's not playing himself, and he, or at least he doesn't see it as him playing himself. He sees it as him playing a an actor called Nick Cage who almost encompasses what everyone sees him to actually be so it doesn't matter whether or not he identifies with you know the reputation that he's got or what people the kind of actor that will perform that people see him as it's almost like he's created this separate character that he can then tap into that is everything that everyone wants him to be and so all he has to do because he is still as we've discussed multiple times a fine actor at the end of the day he could just tap into what is now just another character rather than an extended version of himself or something that's maybe a little bit of the two combined um, although I'm still fascinated. I did you play people, um, for the folks at home, the bit right at the beginning where he's like, bleep, bleep, like he's doing like almost yeah. like a malfunctioning road. How do you either script and or direct that if you have Nick Cage in the studio for a couple of hours? I like, how do you get him to that place? That's what I'm, I don't know. I think you just say go and he, and you, he says, what do you mean? And you go like, okay, this is the setup. Just go and we'll record whatever comes out of your face. And what we like, we'll keep in, and what we don't, we'll get rid of. Yeah, I guess so. There's got to be lines. Like I imagine there's there's some lines in there. Like there's a few compilations um, with other stuff, not just what we played, where they sort of say like he says like you can't kill me, or he says is that give me a torch, or uh, and it's references a few things in game. So I guess that they have those hooks. But apart from that, I think you should let him. Let him. What do they call it? Let him marinate. Let him, and then just what? come out with it. Marination feels like more of like a like a, a process that you do before you unveil. I know like, what I mean. I think I think that maybe they let give him the stuff, let him marinate, and then they just oh, they release him onto the mic. Throw him onto a hot pan. Oh, we don't want a hot and pan. Le and let him sizzle. Um, let him sizzle. Yeah, let him sizzle. Um, yeah, you're probably you're probably right. And if anything, like the idea of that being the workflow is a testament to like how he is still a. You know, I, I again, we don't know what how he was actually like to work with, but. Uh, through the end results appears to be a pretty consummate professional in the in the, in the sense that like i don't know there are other actors out there that i could see that if you hired them and they showed up on the wrong day and you said to them hey just do your thing there's a chance you'd end up with dog shit like if you if you did that went through that process with johnny depp and he rocked up on a random wednesday and you gave him a script and said hey we want you to marinate and then come back and just do your thing i think there's a seven out of ten chance he just completely like phones it in Agreed. But I, I don't know. I don't know that Nick Cage does phone it in. Well, I, there's limited, limited evidence that he does. I think you're right, but I think the the difference is like he's 
done what few actors do whereby some actors get typecast in a role and they'll be that role he's like type he's now been typecast as nick cage which is a, it's not a real person as you said it's, it's a thing that he's kind of created and some people want that like i guess arnie was probably there at one point in his career where that wasn't really him like the you know slow talking like big like muscle guy and he just had this yeah. way about him um but Nick Cage seems to have just got that to a fine art. Whereas, yeah, like you're right. If it's Johnny Depp, like what is Johnny Depp when you're not directing him? He's a guy who mumbles, doesn't really talk that much. Um, right, exactly. It's, there's not a Johnny Depp kind of persona. Outside. Not like there is like a, like if you hired Brad Pitt and didn't give him any direction, you know Brad Pitt. We all know what like the neutral Brad Pitt is like. Because right. he's, he's still like that in 90% of his roles, apart from films like, 12 Monkeys or whatever, where he's been given something very different to do. Brad Pitt is, like, Ocean's Eleven Brad Pitt is just Brad Pitt most of the time. And that's, like, you get what you're paying for, I yeah, guess, in that respect. Yeah, absolutely. Nick Cage is, it's like if you had Tom Cruise and you got him in a, a voice booth and you said, crank the Tom Cruise up to 11, he'd just run away. <laughs> he <doesn't know. laughs> yeah, exactly. Cranking, when you, when you ask Tom Cruise to crank it up to 11, I think that's the point where he actually incorporates suicide into one of his stunts. Like he just intentionally dies at the end of it. He just was like, no, this is a off a cliff. Absolutely. Yeah. He just becomes, you know, when people have that, that Superman complex, he's like, no, I can stand in front of a moving train. This is my, this is my superpower. You know, oh, Christopher, Christopher McQuarrie says in the script that I'm standing in front of a train. I'm standing in front of a fucking train. Like, Tommy could die. That would be a great bit for like a comedy thing where Tom Cruise is, ta is talking to the exec producers about the fact that he's going to do his own stunt and the stunt is to stand in front of a moving train and they're like time you'll die and he's like and he fires the exec producers does it himself then he stands then it cuts to him on the set and he just gets towed by a train and it's like yeah oh. that's like that's, that's what snl snl is going to do around the release of like if not this then the next mission impossible they'll there's going to be some skit somewhere about tom cruise's own stunt doing getting to his own head and and being his demise i want to say there was a joke about that in oh, do you remember there when, when in the mid noughties uh, post scary movie there was a bunch of other you know rip off uh spoofs of of it so there was like epic movie and meet the spartans and yeah i forgot about that yeah all that kind of stuff and one of them was a play on spider-man and it was drake from drake and josh playing but i can't remember what bug he was and that's that the whole point I don't think he was green. Um, uh, I, like he was, I think he was called like the fire. No, the fire. I, I can't remember. But all I all I know is that was around the same time as um, Tom Cruise did that really weird uh, sort of like uh, piece to camera for the Church of Scientology that leaked, mm. where like the Mission Impossible music is kind of like humming in the background, and he's doing all this weird, I don't know, probably dynetic stuff. And they and because obviously those films often riff on uh, sort of pop cultural references as well as the films that they're spoofing. They had Tom Cruise in that film. They had a lookalike and someone who actually did a pretty decent Tom Cruise impression, kind of like taking the piss out of the superhero and saying the guy thinks he can fly. And by the end of the interview, Tom Cruise is like, "I can fly. I can, I can fly." And he's convinced himself that he can. I think there's a gag later on the film where he jumps off a building. That is it's just funny. There's an uh, you talk about SNL. There's an old SNL clip of a guy being um oh what's his name shit who's the who's the aikido guy the, uh, steven seagal yes it's steven seagal who's doing his own stunts and he's 
and he keeps killing all of the stuntmen who he's doing the fight scenes with. He keeps breaking their necks. And anyone who disagrees with just breaks their necks. And then he, he says, oh, I'm going to jump off this building and fly. And they're like, we need the wire team in here. And he's like, I don't need wires. I'm going to jump and fly. And like, okay. And it's that kind of thing. Yeah. Which is, yeah. I think that's a, a lot of actors who end up believing that. I mean, yeah. It happens to cult leaders. Why not actors? But then it's, that's what's interesting about Nicolas Cage is he's taken that hype Nicolas Cage and he's kind of seems to have made it into its own thing and he's found a way to sell it and like you know the unbearable weight of massive talent and the uh, Nicolas Cage in Dead by Daylight seems like he's now selling that as a uh, as something he can actually market and he can sell as a separate thing yeah. to himself which is yeah fair play smart as long as he keeps it fresh and doesn't you know or as long as the either he doesn't overdo it or the industry doesn't overdo it in terms of how many times we go back to the well on that then then yeah more power to him um the film I couldn't. The film I couldn't remember was this was just called Superhero Movie, by the way, and he was the dragonfly in it. Dragonfly, okay. Um, yeah. Well, one bunch of super amazing, awesome people to another bunch of super amazing, awesome people. I am talking about our patreons um, who support us over at Patreon dot com forward slash Super Show. They are an awesome group of people that uh, keep us coming back, keep the lights turned on. Um, they keep Jamie uh, in cans of Red Bull and Death Row t shirts Death Row Records and Red Bull. That's that's my brand, apparently. Say what you see now. I'm just like, I'm, I'm like catchphrase. Um, but no, we are we are um, ever grateful. And it's genuinely uh, heartwarming that people have stayed with us for such a long time and people still support the show uh, month in and month out. Um, I would like to give a shout out to some people. There are some names on screen right now um, that supports us. But I would also like to give a shout out to some people. I'm talking about Aaron Cameron, Athletic Gravy, Brimstone, Cole K., I Stop Rock Salt, Jesper Camden Nielsen, Leo Merger, Mindful Pig, Mr. Anthropic, Pastors Guild, and the big dogs, the members of the board, the ones who tell us what to do, it is Brett Z, AKS Shellshock, Geometric Potter, Hacksaw Greed, Manuel Guerrero, and Peaswad. I managed to say Peaswad without saying it weird. Ah, congrats, you beat me on that front. Um, um, but no, thank you, um, everyone. Yeah. Thank you, all of our patrons. And also thank you to everyone who watches the show, who comments, who likes. All of that stuff does a lot for um, uh, discoverability and all those things. And who give us reviews on podcasting platforms as well. Yeah, if you, if you are feeling inclined, if you're listening to this on a podcasting platform, on your phone maybe, maybe just, you know, pop it out of your pocket, uh, get the five stars on the go and um, drop a little comment. Give us Hell yeah. Yeah, that'd be awesome. Um, thank you all uh, so much. And if the day ever comes where I do have to, like, downgrade from red bull to like blue bolt or zap or what i don't even know what then maybe that's when we call the day call the day on this uh red on this bad boy we used to get a red bull back in the day um where we used to work uh in the very very early days we've done a deal with them apparently oh i'd even that it sends shivers down my spine i used to sainsbury's which is a uk-based uh supermarket chain used to have one called blue bolt i don't know if they they might still do um and I used to drink an ungodly amount of that stuff. And, like, it was the first time I realized what a crash and, like, what a come down could feel like. I was being sort of like 15 and drinking two liters of that stuff and then still being awake at six in the morning and wondering why I didn't like my life anymore. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want to be drinking budget energy. <laughs> no. Better than two liters off. But there we go. Um, but, Jamie, enough about the uh, what you've been putting in your mouth. What you've been putting. <laughs> oh, I ain't been putting. <laughs> Why you been putting it in your eyes? Oh, guys, because 
Wow, I had no right up until the very final word was completed. I had no idea where that was going to go. I didn't realize, you know, I thought fucking Super Show off the dark was about to start <laughs> broadcasting again. Um, uh, Joe, I haven't been putting an awful lot in my eyes. Um, uh, as you kind of hinted at earlier with uh, our pre-recording this episode, I'm away for a lot of this week, so that meant work-wise I had to get a lot of ducks in a row. Big handover email sent at like ten o'clock at night on Friday as I kind of finally. You know, crossed all the T's and dotted all the I's. Uh, although I probably, given how tired I was, was uh, dotting T's and crossing I's, which won't do anyone any good come Monday. But that's not my problem anymore. Um, and so that kind of meant that I was just sort of like filling bits and pieces of gaps and downtime with games and doing a lot of gaming from bed. The Steam Deck has been uh, a godsend for that. So continue to play. Um, Dave the Diver, like I've got a car, like a, I've started a fresh save on Hades that I'm working through on that. Um, and also just exploring a couple of other games that like weirdly, um, I don't know, like, I don't know if it's good optimization or just the right circumstances or just those games being slightly older than I thought they were, but there are a bunch of games that just run really well on the Steam Deck for no reason. Okay. Uh, one of which is Mad Max, um, the Mad Max from like 20, ooh, 60, I actually, I'm like 2050. Yes, exactly. No, um, yeah, exactly. Open world, um, sort of Fury Road inspired uh, game from from Avalanche, um, and like that's an example of a game, obviously at a decreased resolution, but still native to the Steam Deck display. It runs basically at a locked sixty on ver on a on the very high preset. Okay, and so like I'm playing this game on a portable console, and realizing that like this looks and runs better than it did when I played it, and actually didn't much care for it originally on the PS4, and so. I'm actually having a better time um, being being a pickup and play helps a lot. Also, um, I found that the Steam Deck is really quite comfortable from the chair that you're looking at me in right now, if you're watching the YouTube version of it, because my my silhouette, Jonesy, my 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 figure doesn't come in handy for much. Um, but what it does come in handy for is when I I'm inclined at or reclined at a certain angle, that becomes sort of like a like a platform that I can rest things on. One of which is the Steam Deck. So I kind of have my elbows on the arms of my chair, but the Steam Deck itself on my belly, and everything's really well distributed weight-wise, and I can sit there for hours until the battery dies. Feel for game. Yeah, hey, never let it be said that I was built for anything else. Um, uh, the other thing that I was going to flag, just because I think you mentioned it a couple of weeks ago, you might have seen it at the cinema, I can't remember. I'm only mentioning it because I feel like it's the first MCU film I've seen, I think, since... Um, I can't remember whichever one came out more recently from the last Thor and, and, and the last Spider-Man. I'm guessing it was Thor, um, but I, I lose track. Uh, but I saw Guardians of the Galaxy Volume 3. Okay. Um, what is? What did you think? I thought that it was a bit of a mess. Um, I didn't dislike it. I, 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 I it certainly sort of grew on me as it went on, but I thought it was a bit of a bit messy, a bit too long. I thought the first half an hour, like I thought I was going to have to turn it off. It was, it just <laughs> felt so choppy to me, so rough in terms of the speed at which it was moving, how some of those sequences were. I, again, I'm going to have to go back and rewatch it with a like a more considered eye because it felt at the time like it was cut in a way that like almost made it like unmanageable for me um, yeah. to, especially because I was also trying to do that thing where I was like, right, that's Nebula and she's that, she's Gamora's sister, but not this. Gamora, but still this Gamora, but not that Gamora. And now she's got an arm that can do this. I don't know where she got that arm from. And Peter Quill's a, an alcoholic now, and I don't 
really know why, but I'm guessing it's something to do with that th film that I saw in the cinema four years ago. And <laughs> yeah, um, and you just kind of you do pick that stuff up inevitably, but there's also parts of it where you just like, ah, you kind of have to fill in the gaps. And then all of a sudden it starts throwing in other characters, uh, some of which like I really liked the the depiction of Adam Warlock they go with, but they they come they it's like they 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 immediately run out of things to do with him, and it's like what what's he even here for? Like, it, uh, yeah, they that they've tried to get that film to do a he a lot of heavy lifting. That's the problem. And, and and in two and a half hours, it still feels like they don't do a lot of that heavy lifting. No, and I, I'm I'm with you. So when I saw it, like I, I think like I had positive praises on the podcast, but I think my my issue with it with it was when I saw it, I wasn't quite sure if I liked it or not. Um, okay. But then afterwards, I kind of was like, oh no, I do, and I actually think it's a lot better than I thought it was. But dissimilar to you, I had just watched, I just rewatched, I think, um, uh, both Avengers films. And I'd also rewatched Guardians one and two quite recently. Okay, okay. That's okay. why I went in there like with all of that stuff just brimming in my brain. I knew exactly where I was at, um, and so it was. And now, but now the way you frame it, like, the stuff about Gamora and the stuff about how you're supposed to know what's going to a nebula and so it is actually if you didn't, if that stuff wasn't that sort of fresh to you, that film would be yeah so goddamn confusing. Like I dread to think some people go to see it maybe you haven't seen. Um, those films at all and it was just like yeah oh, hell like, I, th I think you, I think you can have a good time but there was a bit of it where yeah there were there were enough elements from Infinity War and Endgame and even apparently from what I gather the Christmas special they did yeah that I was like um like I, I, this is spoilers for the Christmas special not for um for volume three but like it's established that Mantis like a firm or concrete established that Mantis and Star-Lord are half-siblings Yes, they're both they're both both related to Kurt Russell in some way, um, and I was like, oh, okay, like so you just have to roll with those punches, and it doesn't affect the overall plot. What I will say is that there were some ideas and some concepts and characters in Volume Three that I thought were really well done, and some of the more interesting things that, like a Marvel film, as I've seen a Marvel film doing a little while, I I thought that like hinging a lot of the the primary arc on Rocket's backstory and that now like I thought a lot of that stuff was actually really strong. Um, because it was it's endearing um and and also you know it's it's that's a character we've grown to love in his own right and now we're seeing and like now we're another door of that is being opened up to us i think what's also helped with that is the strength of the like the primary antagonist of the film uh both in terms of not necessarily um goals and desires i think a lot of that stuff is pretty rote but like certainly performance um like the very engaging screen presence that helped a lot of those flashbacks really kind of sustain my interest um so okay, yeah. What yeah. My, a feeling that I had about this though was, and I, and this this is what bugged me when I first, after seeing it um, immediately. The first thing that sort of struck me was that is not a final in a trilogy film. To me, that was a um, um, in the middle of the pack, like maybe second to last film. But then I wanted. I, I then was I was kind of feeling like I don't know how I I don't know how I feel about the fact that I'm never going to see the Guardians of the Galaxy as they were together again. I see. I di I disagree. Like, like I I think that I think when you look at their individual arcs, I think a lot of them, if they hadn't got to the places they needed to get to by the start of Volume Three, I think they got to the places they needed to get to by the end of it. Even if that wasn't the way, like, like I can't spoil anything. Obviously, that I don't think this thing's even out on streaming yet. Um, but like some of those arcs may be less satisfying 
um, in terms of resolutions than others. Um, but it, it reminded me very much of Endgame. Like if you go back to Endgame, which again, I won't spoil the specifics on, even though I think most people have, have seen it or been aware of by now. Endgame kind of split the pack was like some people are going to get very definitive endings. Some people are going to get ambiguously definitive endings. And some people are going to have open, completely open endings. And I think Guardians was an appropriate mix of that, that I actually thought, like, there's a music montage towards the end. And I, in my opinion, you can't not watch that and be like, yeah, this is that, that's it. These guys have come to the end of their journey as the Guardians of the Galaxy, no matter who or what comes next. No, no, like agreed. You could, you couldn't now have another film with them in it. Like I think they've they've obviously never very definitively said no, no. There's not going to be another one. I don't know. I just, I just felt like I would have maybe wanted them to focus somewhere else as a final. But no, but no, you're not wrong. And it's 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 a film that's grown on me since I've seen it. You know when you sort of think yeah. about it more and you're kind of like okay, yeah, no, this is this. yeah. And I, I think um, that trilogy, the three uh, Guardians films, are probably my well, actually they're easily my favorite trilogy from like Marvel. Yeah, I think when you look at sort of the various offshoots of Marvel as some like little self-contained things, I think the the, the Guardians trilogy does stand um, in, in on very strong ground in uh, amongst the rest of the MCU up to this point, in my opinion. I think it's also interesting though that three films down, and I, I like, I've mostly enjoyed all three of them. I but the but not only is the first still the strongest after all this time. But it's also just a reminder that, that video game, and you said this when you saw the film, but that video game was really fucking good. Yeah. Um, and like maybe had my favorite story or my second favorite story. Well, the first one gets the benefit of introducing us to the Guardians, right? Yes. And there's a kind of a happy-go-lucky um, element to that that can play things a little bit fast and loose, whereas Volume 2 and 3 got much more caught up in MCU stuff than the, than the first one had to consider. But... um. Weird, weirdly, yeah. you say about the video. You see about the video game. Um, if you've seen Guardians of the Galaxy Volume Three, and then you played the game, like cause if you if you'd only seen like one and two, and then you played the game, you'd be like, okay, yeah, this is a Guardians game. This is fine. I feel like if you go and watch Guardians Volume Three, and having not played the game, which I believe is on Game Pass, and you then played it, you would be like, oh, I recognise so many of these characters, like because they've got they have a whole bunch of the characters who are in the game are in this film, which is like, and it. it it almost sounds like a full circle thing of being like, oh yeah, like I totally. It could almost be a an interloper game story. Um, yeah, I don't know where it would slot in because it sort of does tread on some of the toes of what goes on in movies. Because you're you're right that what it's interesting about how like there are some of the things that this film tries to do for Rocket that that game does for for multiple characters through the game's kind of central crutch. Which again, like I won't, I don't. We, if you, it's really worth playing if you, if you're kind of curious about what we're talking about. But um, if 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 what the God if what the Guardians as a trilogy was doing the whole time was kind of tugging at the idea of like, hey, he these are potentially unlikable kind of anarchistic personalities thrust together to make an unlikely group of anti-heroes, but actually they've all got very soft centers, and we're going to slowly reveal that to you over the course of three movies. The video game gets to that core, that gooey core far quicker and almost far more effectively um yeah but that doesn't mean that i didn't like what they did um for certain characters along the way in the in the in the movies i just there's something very effective about the video game's version of it especially like the video game i one thing i think i can say is like focus far, at a certain point began to focus far more on drax um in a way that the Guardians films have hinted at, but never went all in on in the same way they did with Rocket now. And that stuff was really effective in the game. Um, but, you know, 
But hey, if you like yourself some Guardians, yeah, maybe go check out the game or the film if you haven't seen the film yet. Um, I haven't replayed anything outside of Jedi Survivor, so I'm not going to talk about that because I don't have more people with more Star Wars. Um, but I would like to mention two things that I've watched. I'll try and keep it quick because I don't want to. Uh, I don't want to go on too much about Marvel-y kind of stuff. Uh, to know, actually, first I'll touch on uh, Maniac, which I watched, um, which is um, the Netflix show, which is a limited run, like oh, seven or eight episodes, which I watched recently, and I just want to give it a shout out because I really enjoyed it. Um, is it Seth? What is his name? Jonah Hill. Jonah Hill. I remember, I remember this coming out and then being like, oh, I've got to watch that. Because it was also, it was the, like the first thing that Kerry, or the second thing that Kerry Fukunaga did after True Detective Season 1. So it's like, oh shit. Um, yeah, no, uh, really liked it. Good series. Weird, like uh, uh, a bit psychedelic, a bit strange, a bit bizarre and and fun. And um, but yeah, but, but very weird enough and, and enjoyable enough to get into. And I nailed the entire season in about two days. Um, I think each episode. Oh, yeah. Was, pretty short um i think some are like 25 i think it changed actually how long they are some are like 25 minutes maybe some are just over 30 and there's only about seven okay. episodes so you can you can knock that out um in a in a weekend if you've got the time um but i i, I really enjoyed it so i wanted to give a shout out also i wanted to give a little bumper before i slag off the absolute shit show that is black adam um, oh wow okay which i which i checked out uh yesterday so fresh in my mind <laughs> uh <laughs> Go on, spill the spill the tea. I don't know where to start. So, like, we never like to give away spoilers or anything, so I won't touch on like actual story what happens. But I will just say, we've just talked about Marvel and about you know uh, Guardians of the Galaxy and, and Endgame and a few of those films. If you're a Marvel fan and you go in to watch this, you'll be fine because it is um, such a ripoff of multiple Marvel characters that are just taken whole cloth just copied and have their names changed um and i know that is comic books dc and marvel in general like they have the yeah. sort of thing but like yeah and so this film revolves around like black adam obviously which is played, who's played by um dwayne johnson and then you've got hawk which i didn't realize you've then got Hawkman, fate um atom smasher and uh, i can't remember it. hurricane girl i'll call her that <laughs> okay <laughs> So Hawkman is is play. I can't remember the actor's name, but he, I swear, he's doing his best Anthony Mackie voice impression. Like he sounds exactly like Anthony Mackie, and he's exactly like Falcon. Like they are right. the same goddamn character. You've then got Pierce Brosnan, who is, I swear, was probably in about ten minutes of filming time, and then the rest of it is just like a gold helmet that just goes on a CGI character, and he's not in, and he is Doctor Strange. Um, same powers. He's even a doctor. Even halfway through, they're like, "Oh, I'm a I'm a doctor of blah 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 blah," and you're like. Okay, this is a complete ripoff of Doctor Strange, but again, yeah, I think the character's name is Doctor Fate, right? It's, yeah, it's, I think yeah. it's Doctor something else. I think his name's Doctor Kevin. Something. I mean, when is his superhero name is Doctor Fate? Oh, okay, I'm I'm not hundred percent because I think he was in one of the. I think he's in the Injustice games. I think that was the first time I I, okay. I heard him about him. And I see, I'd never heard about him. Um, you then have and and then he even played to some of the story beats. Like they talked to him about the fact that he can see millions of type of futures and which one. Is going to come out of like this, and you're like, this is just Endgame. Um, you've then got Atom Smasher, who is just Ant Man. Like that is, he's just Ant Man. His power is to grow big. That's the only. He can't grow small. He just grows big. Like when Ant Man grows big, and he's the same kind of ditzy, uh, lovable fool kind of character that Paul Rudd plays. But the, they play it so on the nose. It's not even like a. I don't. I don't get it. And then 
and all of that all of that aside right all of that aside yes you then have the real problem for me with dc movies which is that and i, and I recently watched they're mad they're really bad um <laughs> the reason being is that i think I've watched a recent Stanley documentary um, on Disney, and he sort of says the genius that was Marvel in the end was um, that they were trying to make characters that were relatable by real people. So they used real people's stories or things that could happen to real people and gave those issues to superheroes. DC's gone the other way and tries to make superhero problems, and they're so shit. Like they're not interesting, they're unrelatable, and no one cares. And for me, this film just does that again in spades like you don't have any arcs there's no um there's no sort of like way the characters change if they need to have like change the way they're going to address a situation which is normally done by an arc they just suddenly do something different without right. any reason of doing um nothing's ever like justified or no um, yeah. i'll give you an example the justice society i believe they're called rock up yeah. and they're like black Ad black adam is here um, and we need to take we need to take him in. He's super powered, and we can't let him run around because he's going to destroy everything. So they rock up, and you're like, okay. Well, then you need to say to him, hey man, you're too powerful. We can't let you just be running around because you're just going to break shit. All right, just say that. But they go up to him and they go, Black Adam, you're too powerful. So uh, either you can kneel or die. And you're like, what the what the fuck is this? Why have you gone in? So the whole setup is that you're this Justice Society. You're a bunch of heroes that are going to try and... And the first thing you do when you meet this guy is say, you have to kneel to us or we're going to kill you. I'm like, this is such mm. writing. And the rest of the film is that. It's literally that same conversation like 15 times. Um, do what we want. Or like, do this or we're going to kill you. And Dwayne Johnson is a fucking mountain. He's a man mountain. He looks incredible. Yep. He is, he's like said that he's gotten to the best shape ever for Black Adam and how he's never been a superhero before, I don't really understand. But I also kind of can because in this film, an actor with some acting chops who can actually sell like some real emotion would have worked really well, especially if the writing had, had been done. Um, to kind of give him this arc of, of what he goes through to from when we first meet him to when, you know, the end of the film. They just don't bother with any of that like don't do with it he he's he's tough and he's going to punch stuff. the whole yeah. film is just like punch stuff punch stuff punch stuff punch stuff suddenly someone goes oh my god i shouldn't punch stuff that's that's the, how the film goes and it's terrible yeah i think is yeah i don't mind films that kind of uh, follow that path if i'm having fun with them along the way but yet it doesn't sound like there's much redeemable even in the fun department about black adam but it is weirdly though it's still enjoyable for its spectacle. Like if you if you like okay. superhero movies for spectacle, um, yeah, like for, absolutely. Like it was it was quite funny. I said to my wife oh, as we finished watching, it, I said, "Did you like that?" And she said, "Yeah, it was fucking terrible." <laughs> okay, yeah, that's a good answer. And I laughed. I I, I wanted it. Did you get the same reaction? Because I thought the same when you saw the trailer for, or if you saw the trailer for the Flash recently, where you're like, "This looks like hot nonsense," but I think I'd have a good time with it. So I thought that I I heard that the Flash was good, and I was like, oh, I'm actually looking forward to the Flash. And now that it's come out, and, and everyone says it's awful, I'm like, oh, okay, this is the same as Black Adam. It's going to be um, some really good cinematics, some utter garbage writing, uh, nonsensical plot, and it's going to be, but it's going to be a, a hell of a hell of a show. <laughs> yeah, they will have spent money on it. That's yeah. for sure. And and if you and like the the Rock is uh, is is cool, man. He's he's hench and they've got some great cgi i mean it's and if you want to see some superheroes superhero it's, i tell you what so um 
if you you remember those films that used to come out that were like though you'd get a proper film so something like i uh, uh, jesus i don't even know you'd get a film come out uh, there's a proper film made by a big studio Dimmler's list sure and then a small time like budget dvd would come out that would be called like Bindler's Trist. And it would be okay, yeah. and it would be like a bad B movie. <laughs> Sorry, Bindler's Trist sounds like <laughs> I, I quite like that. And it would it would be like a bad B movie that was just hoping that people would misread the DVD box and buy it because it had some of the same themes. This feels like it should have been called uh <laughs> like I, I don't even know. It, like it should have been called Garvel's <laughs> something, like Avengers. It's something like with Avengers in it. That people would go, is this? Oh, not like, is this not like, smack, 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 Fallon, smack, no, smack. I don't know. I maybe anything. It just feels like it should have had a name, which was a pun of a Adam's Trist. And then you'd go, oh, is this that Marvel movie? And then you'd, oh, it's on sale, five ninety nine. My kid wants to see that. I'll buy it. And then I think they stopped doing that. I think they stopped doing that when porn parodies became a thing. And then all of a sudden it's like, hang on a second, am I accidentally buying a porn? Right? Speaking of which, Bindler's Trist. That is definitely a porn parody right there. Bindler's Trist. Yeah. Bindler's Trist, XXX. Um, I'll be honest with you, yeah, I, I was, I was uh, nowhere near you know, coming to terms with the idea of watching Black Adam. Um, and if anything, I'm now further away. So thank you for that. Especially also now knowing that, like, that it's... Not that any of this is for anything or needs to be for anything for a movie to be good, but knowing that like Black Adam is as a character is essentially done now, Dwayne Johnson's done, and that the DCEU is just completely moving on with James Gunn, and yeah, yeah, it's just like it's, like, it's just kind of like why why invest at this stage? And I know that's a stupid way of looking at movies because they can be enjoyed in their own right. As I said, yeah, it's a distraction. I would even I thought was bizarre was they even start the film off with. I can't remember the actress's name. She's the one who puts together the Suicide Squad. She's Viola Davis, is, Viola and Davis. she's a, a, Amanda Waller. Right, so she's supposed to be, I guess she's like the Nick Fury of, of uh, the DC universe, where she's the um, she's yeah. the architect of like the Avengers. Like he's the architect of the Avengers. She's the architect of these DC teams. So she was one of the only characters and actors who was in both versions of the Suicide Squad. Right. So and and so she even had and she's got the same role. Like this starts off. I was I thought this is weird. Like I didn't I wasn't anticipating this. It even right at the beginning is like we need to put together a team, and I was kind of like, oh, this is not what I thought. I thought this was about a guy called Black Adam who is going to save the day and it's going to be like a single superhero movie. But it's not at all. It's like we're going to build a team. I was like, oh, are we now going to get a montage of this team being built? You're like, oh no, they just arrive and they're a team. This. So, did you ever see the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen? It kind of has that feel where they go, "We're putting together this the team. Sean Connery one." Yes, where they just go smash together a team of like mystical creatures and random people, and you go, "You'll enjoy it. You'll enjoy this. It's a team." And you're like, "What have you done? You've just made the strangest film ever." This is not yeah because it's you people who like these characters from DC can still get something out of this, but yeah, but a bit weird, a bit strange, but yeah. a spectacle, a bit of spectacle. Sure, sure. You just reminded me of, as well of the fact that, because obviously some of them were involved in that League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, how Universal tried to make their monsters uh, the universe, where, like, the only thing that came out... Te well, te it depends. Like, there was that Dracula film, but I think they tried to pretend that wasn't the start, and then Tom Cruise was in The Mummy, but he wasn't The Mummy. He was someone else. And then, like, Javier Bardem was going to be Frankenstein, Johnny Depp was going to be The Invisible Man, um, Russell... Russell Crowe was Jacqueline Hyde. 
they had they had it all figured out and then they made the, that Tom Cruise mummy film and it flopped so hard they were like we probably shouldn't do this <laughs> right yeah this is that this is that like Haw- to be fair to them so Hawkman actually I really like like I thought he was cool he's like the I've heard of him before so I'm like okay that's fine it's like a weird Falcon ripoff or maybe Fal- maybe Falcon's a ripoff of Hawkman um the costume's cool, but I'm like, but you've never shown me a film of this guy in. I'm just supposed to accept him as the leader of the Justice Society, and you're going to throw in some other like rip off Marvel characters. It was anyway. I'm going to stop talking about it because people are probably like, why, why are you talking about this? For I think it got 44 out of 100 on Metacritic. Um, I apologise for talking about it so long, but uh, I've been wanting well, to rag on it all week. Well, good news, Jonesy, is that um, a couple of people like Greg Fraser, the DOP, and stuff like that have been out there hyping up. Um, their some of their ideas for the second Batman film, so that's going to come along and save us or be the savior of of comic book movies, CBMs. It's funny as well because I, like I said, I recently watched some of the other Marvel films, and I actually had a lot more appreciation for the nuance of the story um, in some of those things, like like Tony Stark just having a moment with his dad in the past, and it was like, oh, don't, you know, kids aren't that bad, and you'll be a fine dad, and all of this, and it was quite like some. It didn't need to be there, and it's a bit like mushy, but bit heartfelt and we know what happens in the end and stuff so but then this is the opposite this is complete mindless like i'm just gonna punt and we're just gonna keep punching each other until we get until the film ends um, also i mean fucking word for rocky terrible bad guy like one of the worst kind of oh shit um see from your description i didn't even know there was a bad guy i thought that the, the conflict was black adam against the 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 group the justice society uh I'm, i don't want to ruin it jamie so i'm not going to tell you anymore but there is a token pointless bad guy who is really shit so, uh, well just imagine the crappiest kind of phone in bad guy you could come up with and you're probably pretty close. but don't try now because it um is there is their name bindler their name should be bindler uh he's that generic um okay but uh talking about one uh, one bad guy and moving on to another um, because a bad guy, uh, by the I'm I'm going to absolutely butcher this name by the name of uh, Yanni Wehuan. No, that's going to be completely right. Wehuani, <laughs> Wehuini. What's French? I don't know how to do French. Well, I think the first syllable would be more like I would have like an ooh sound if that's French, right? Uhiuni. Uhiuni. It's like it's like a Moroccan name almost, or an Algerian name. I don't know. Oh god, I've got no idea. Um, anyway, so this is the story of... Let's call Let's call him Yanni. Easy. Yanni. So um, uh, this is the story about Yanni, uh, who is a 22-year-old French gamer um, who got in a bit of trouble um, back in 2020 because he was guilty of swatting uh, a number of different people. Um, the main one, the biggest one that he swatted was uh, Ubisoft Montreal. Um, uh, and he actually called in a... Uh, uh, he said that there was a hostage situation, and so the police arrived. Um, they evacuated the entire building. We're talking the entire company. People might have heard about it at the time, um, and this was all bollocks. They went in, they investigated, they found that there was nothing going on, um, and it was—it's probably the biggest swatting incident. I'm gonna—I'm gonna maybe guess. Up to date. And those of like uh, gaming swatting incidents that kind of got big publicity. This was one of the more notable ones because I remember being on Twitter while this was happening, and there being people like hope everyone at Ubisoft is okay kind of thing. No one knew what was going on for a while. It's a no, big deal. Absolutely. But he didn't just swat them once, he swatted them a couple of times. Um, not to mention, he also carried out DDoS attacks on Mojang uh, for um, who knows the slight that he'd uh, done to them, as well as um, some French government sites. Um, but the reason he's in the news this week is because he has now been sentenced to three and a half years of 
community service, James. Um, but the reason I wanted to talk about this was be purely because um, when you get into the meat of like what actually, why this happened um, and his reaction was actually pretty funny. Um, now that we know that no one like died, fortunately, because obviously if you swap people and something goes wrong, it has happened before the people could actually end up getting murdered. So it's pretty good um, that no one did in this instant incidents but he is a rainbow six siege player jake nikkei um he loves a bit of siege he mm. is he doesn't like being good at siege uh he likes cheating and getting good at siege he also likes hacking streamers which is two things that if you do could get you banned yeah most terms of service pretty strongly uh guide strong guidances um against acts like those Indeed, and uh, so Yanni actually racked up eighty bans um, against uh, uh, from his uh, Ubisoft account, um, which is what eventually drove him to decide that he was going to um, take it out on Ubisoft Montreal, and he was going to uh, swap them in glorious fashion by getting you know I can't remember how many cars it was, four or five armed police vehicles to go out there. Um, yeah, but he was um, particularly pissed off, so he decided that that's what he was going to do. Um, do you know Jamie what he thought? what he thought the outcome of this would be. Um, after all of this, he spoke to a newspaper, mm. he, uh, a Canadian newspaper called La Presse. Oh, yeah, that does sound French-Canadian. He said, he said to them, can you say that I'm kindly asking the Ubisoft team to unban my account, please, um, because I've spent over $1,500 on cosmetic enhancements for my profile, which was my favourite part at the time. Oh, it's, it, it's, it's the best part of, a, of an otherwise bad story. And in and in that sense, calling it the best part isn't much of a you know glowing endorsement either. Like because overall, this story is, I think, largely just depressing for me. Um, it is. I, I mean, tried to I tried to make it a little bit playful and a bit. No, you're you're right too. You're right too because we're podcasting um, and people are going living their lives. Some are listening to this on their way to work and they don't need to be reminded how shitty the uh, place the world can be, um, or how there are people out there who think to themselves. I cheated in a video game and my account got banned, so I'm going to pretend that there's a hostage situation in the development studio wherein the game was made. Um, of course, we, all, we can't be surprised that people's brains work that way, We can, but we can still be disappointed that they do. But the thing that's more disappointing for all of that, that beyond all of that, um, is the outcome of this of this case. Because while I agree with you, you made a good point that like, nothing bad happened, you know, the, like of all the things that can go wrong during a swatting, nothing did, and that's um, a blessing in this case. But, yeah, for me, the focus shouldn't be on the fact that nothing did go wrong. It should be on the fact that something can go wrong. And when you're talking about, you know, the fact that there are swattings that have gone wrong, when you're talking about, this, you know, there being situations where you know, things have gotten out of hand or been misinterpreted or miscommunicated and people have died during swattings, then there needs to be greater deterrence out there for well, in this case, there's multiple swattings, and as you noted, one of the most significant and publicly, like, oh, well, you know, acknowledged um, swattings in recent history, and there's not even jail time involved. I mean, are we really what are we really saying, like, uh, you know, don't do this, but you're not actually going to get in real trouble until someone dies? Is that what we're saying? Can I can I try and sway you a little bit? Because like I was kind by of, all means, I was kind of a similar opinion. Um, but so he's he's been sentenced to, like I said, three and a half years of community service, which is a hell of a lot of community service. Um, he's also been sentenced to uh, make reparations to the people that he swatted. Um, so I don't know if that's like financial or whatever. He's also been sure, sure. also has to attend um, uh, psychiatric uh, like appointments and things, which makes absolute sense. 
And I think when you put together that fact and, and the fact that actually three and a half years community service is a lot of public work. Three, yeah, three and a half years community service is a lot of community service, but it's, but, but it's, there's, but it's, it's just that. Absolutely. Like but, eating three and a half tons of pizza is a lot of pizza. <laughs> no, sure. But, the, but all I was going to say was he was also under the age of 20 and under when he committed these acts. Okay. And I would top it off by saying the quote about can you ask Ubisoft to unban my account to the newspaper? Just for me, um, just galvanizes the fact that this is a completely out of touch, like young okay. guy who I think, I, I think the judge may have gone very lenient on um, in order to be like, this is a guy who needs to touch grass in the most uh, like explicit form. He needs to spend three and a half years. Hey, so there are some prisons that have grass. That's, that's true. That's <laughs> um, no, I, I, you're right, and I, I, I do concede that that last bit does make some amount of sense, and I can see that. Like, you're absolutely right when you look at this, when you look at that quote that you pointed out about the, you know, the cosmetic purchases that Yanni's made. In a more clinical sense, you're like, okay, this is someone who doesn't even understand the consequences of what they've done, which is usually a pretty, in, pretty good indicator that maybe you need to seek other means of sort of like rehabilitating them or whatever it is you hope to achieve. Um, it's just my concern that like. It, one thing that seems to be the case about swatting is like if something goes from a thing you haven't heard of like five years ago 10 years ago to a thing that you're not surprised by in that time that suggests that people hearing about swatting and finding out what swatting is will in some cases you know register in the minds of people as something that they can then do in the future people are being like yeah, that's nice. Do you know what I mean? Do you, yeah, yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like Yanni swatted a game studio because he'd heard because he had heard a story about someone else swatting someone else within the games industry scene. If not a developer or a studio, then maybe another gamer. Which uh, the article you uh, like we we looked at said he had done as well. Like yeah. that's the other thing. Yanni had swatted rival gamers in the past. Um, like I think when someone's relationship with um with an act like that is so nonchalant even in the case where there may be other reasons to believe that they're not all the way there and there's, like as you said, some significant grass touching to need, that needed to be done, I still wish that the, deter the, deter the deterrent, excuse me, that this case created for future potential swatters was greater than the headline of three and a half years community service. I think you're probably right. Um, that There should have been maybe some kind of like custodial sentence. I, I will say, I think it will not be long before um, older Yanni is probably banged up anyway because I can't see. Yeah, he uh, he's definitely going to be told you are not allowed to play on any like online servers. You are not allowed to da 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 da. You're not allowed to, and he is not not like yeah. he's going to be back on there and he's going to he be is, locked up. He's he he has already signed up for an extra fight closed beta, and Lord knows <laughs> what's going to happen next. Abs absolutely. Um, he do you know what it, it just he I think he can't help himself. I think he cannot help himself. Well, yeah, like you, you talk about that, like we, we, we're talking about like the headline case here of that one particular swatting incident against Ubisoft Montreal. But yeah, when you look at the other swatting incidents, both major and minor, what not that, I mean, they're all bad, don't get me wrong, but they're still kind of like a scale, I guess. And then the DDoS attacks, this is someone who clearly like was not capable of drawing a line between what happened, where what happened in a virtual world ended and what happens in the real world began. And that's a problem. And that's oftentimes a problem unless they get the help they needed, which maybe this is is the encouraging part of all of this, as you pointed out, is a, is a problem that doesn't go away too quickly. Um, you know, it's, yeah, it's, it's fucked, but 
which yeah i don't know well um let's move on jamie because uh from one person who couldn't help themselves um let's talk about another one who couldn't help themselves oh dear i'm talking about yuji naka uh co-creator of sonic the hedgehog who has um also this week been sentenced for something gaming related um he's been sentenced for insider trading uh so quick rundown of this story um you might have recently heard of uh Yujinaka for how badly he did with um uh, Balan Wonderland Wonderworld I always want to call it Wonderland but Balan Wonderworld um and the fact like the breakdown <laughs> sorry Josie that that's Binless Wonderworld Binless Wonderland Wonderworld um and the breakdown in relationship that he had with Square Enix um while he was making that game uh he had a lot of tweets last year when the game came out and he was sort of complaining about the fact that They'd put out a game that wasn't ready and the developer, da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, we're not going to talk about that because there was something else that he was doing when he was with Square Enix that he shouldn't have been doing, um, not just making bad games. Um, he was using some of his cheeky insider knowledge, Jamie, about games that were getting developed uh, by other studios but wasn't public knowledge. And he was using that to uh, buy himself up some tasty little shares in those companies. <laughs> Uh, knowing that, of course, when um, when we went down, a little bit further down the line and it was uh, known that those companies were involved with those games, that their stock prices would in- improve uh, to some degree and he would be able to reap the tasty financial benefits. Um, and as I said, someone who um, just couldn't help themselves because he, he didn't do this once, he did this twice. Um, and the second time he did it, I believe that he was already, he had already been arrested uh, for doing it the first time. Um so I'll give you the quick rundown of what the actual specifics about those two incidences were. So his first um, arrest was off the back of uh, some shares in, that he bought in a company called Aiming uh, that was working on an unannounced Dragon Quest mobile game at the time. So it wasn't announced, he bought some shares in it so that when it did come out there working on it, stock price goes up and Yuji makes some tasty money. Um, the second was uh, a similar kind of situation with A-Team who were developing a Final Fantasy VII the First Soldier game um, that was that had not been unveiled at the time. Uh, and he did the same thing. And the police did not take that very kindly. That is illegal in, in Japan. Yes, yes. And we were reminded once again, although there are obviously differences in the way, you know, certain things are punished uh, between different countries and France and Japan are not the same place, um, I will quickly uh, point out very early on that we have jumped from a story about someone um, calling in a fake hostage situation and risking the lives of tens if not hundreds of people being sentenced to community service while a Japanese businessman who has committed insider trading for personal gain is serving real prison time. Well, he's well, not poten- potentially, potentially, uh, he's got a greater chance of. Well, actually, he doesn't have a better chance of. So, yeah, and he still has still has better chance of actually getting banged up, but. Um, I, d- I don't know. So, though. You might be right because Yuji Yuji couldn't help himself. He'd I mean, he didn't. He did it again. He <laughs> does seem like he can't help himself. He does. Um, so yeah, as Jamie alluded to, he's been sentenced to two and a half years in the slammer, um, but it's suspended for four years. So as long as he keeps his hands clean for the next four years, he should uh, forego that prison time. Um, I'm just did I? I thought I put it in here, but maybe I didn't. I trying to see the amount of money he made. I believe it was like 1.2 million dollars. I mean, I, I can see an article that I'm looking here that that was what his fine was, so it's very possible. That's the total amount of his fines. Um, I think exactly. Yeah, I think so. I think that would have been the amount that he actually was. Or maybe, maybe not. Maybe they added some more to the top because they were like, you passed through the ringer as well. 
I, I can tell you that um, actually, like some of the things I'm seeing here that uh, like the profits that he made apparently, according to this one article I'm reading, very low. Um, like uh, for example, uh, the when uh, when Naka was arrested the second time, this is for the uh, investment in developer 18, but we're working on Final Fantasy VII: The First Soldier. Um, it's claimed uh, that he bought 130,000 shares and earned a profit of over 20 million yen, which is $146,000 upon their sale. So the, the article that I've got in front of you from Video Games Chronicle suggests that he's making profit in the in the realms of a few hundred thousand dollars, but his fine was um, was 1.2 million. Which that would actually was that would you know suggest that they put a punitive amount on there as well, which would make total sense. It wouldn't really make sense if you said if you get caught doing this stuff, you just have to give the money back because then of course that's not really punitive, right? There's no reason to not try it if you know the yeah. day all you're gonna have to do is give back the money. Right, exactly. It's yeah, not it's not much of a deterrent. You get a suspended sentence and you have to give back your profits. Oops, yeah, yeah, you got me absolutely. Exactly, and then you're like, you just uh, try again, wouldn't you? The next year, you'd be like, oh, you did it again, you cheeky scamp. <laughs> yeah, give us back those ruddy products, you cheeky bugger. Um, yeah, um, well, it's one of those things where because there's no there's no violent crimes being committed here, and because insider trading, well, to, the extent to which it's a victimless crime is up for debate, um, but it's certainly, um, I don't know. I just think that there's like it, it's easier to kind of laugh at this in a tragically funny way. Because, as you pointed out, Yuji Naka was the co-creator of Sonic, and like, there's one version of his career where he goes on to be one of the, or at least remembered as one of the most like iconic or recognizable game developers of all time, because yeah. of the role he played in some of the formative years of this industry. And yet, ne like, he never really earned that reputation. He, he never really became like a, a Miyamoto or anything like that, in spite of how big Sonic became and remains. Then, of course, as you mentioned, there was Banner Wonderworld, which meant that for the last, you know, two years or so, if you Googled Yuji Naka, the only things that came up uh, were stories about how bad Banner Wonderworld were, was. And now, if you Google Yuji Naka, the only things that come up are stories about him, you know, committing inside and being found guilty of insider trading, trading, being fined, getting a suspended prison sentence. And all the while, he looks like this sort of, like, cheruby kind of like slightly chubby cheeked japanese businessman and it's i don't know if people are doing this on purpose but the picture that everyone seems to use when they're talking about all the bad things he's done is this one that i think was from the promotional cycle of balan wonderworld where he's wearing that stupid white top hat so we <laughs> so like you've just taken like like an alternate like a sliding doors an alternate dimension version of like shigeru miyamoto and turned him into like the, one of the laughing stocks of the game industry, and there's something tragic and funny about that. It is it is really sad because when you talk about like legacy and how people want to be remembered, it's so easy to just look at sort of like the pot crap that comes out toward the end of a career, and you forget how successful and how important and how influential they were, you know, in the past. Um, and like, yeah, it's the horrible idea that in future you'll be able to like you'll click on a Wikipedia article and read about Yuji Naka, and there's going to be a top hat wearing like freak like. A, He's talking about his insider trading and how he made Balan Wonderworld, which was rubbish. Yeah. You'll forget everything else because it's... Irrelevant. Like, uh, th th this is a case of it being the right way around. I'm not suggesting this shouldn't have happened. But what was the name of that musician who was like, I think Australian-born, but was like lo loved by British people who Rolf died Harris. a couple of weeks ago? Rolf Harris. Rolf Harris, who's a musician and, and kind of like a... Well, because for anyone that doesn't know, Rolf Harris was like a very popular like household name musician and entertainer like one of those people who were super like 
beloved across the country, like met the royal family, all that kind of stuff, who ended up being a nonce, it ended up being a, like a pedophile, yeah. um, got you know uh, convicted and, and locked up before his death and then died in jail. And I remember me and some of my friends laughing on the day that he died because we all live in a world now where you get pop-ups and notifications whenever breaking news happens. And your phone, just a little pop-up comes up and it'll be like Sky News or BBC News. And it's just the headline. And the headline pops up and all you read is like, disgraced paedophile Rolf Harris, known for, you know, raping underage girls, dies at 75. And you're like, that is one, I mean... It's absolutely the case. That's absolutely the way it should be. But yes, you're like it doesn't matter like what your it career was or is. yeah, nothing else matters when you when you're a pedophile. No, go on. <laughs> that's that's the conclusion. That's the that's the moral of that story. Nothing else matters. Doesn't matter what you create or what you did when you're a pedophile. That's what people remember. And unfortunately, rightly so, you dirty nonce. You shouldn't have done it. I don't want to get into. Oh no, I was, I was going to say there is a question of how how big do you have to be to be remembered for more than being a pedophile and i was like do i want to go down this route maybe maybe not well like not 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 i don't know if i have not i can't remember was what he's been found guilty of or charged with whatever but i was gonna say they answered that question you're right it's michael jackson it's how big do you have to be well yeah but then michael jackson was one of those cases where like because he was never found guilty of anything when michael jackson dies you know i i, I most outlets don't write like accused pedophile michael jackson or like not guilty child molester Michael Jackson dies at whatever. Um, but we've gone anyway. We've gone to a weird place. So um, let's move on from. We were Yuji Naka, by the way, has not been found guilty of doing. Oh, I, fa I, fa I found the exact. The, I found the exact headline. This was what popped up on my phone. So Sky News: Rolf Harris, convicted paedophile who used his fame to groom young girls, died age ninety, dies age ninety three, and I was like, yeah, that is one way to make sure that. Um, that's how you'll be the headlines that come out around your death exactly how you remembered changed um irreversibly um through your deeds and your acts you dirty dirty nonce absolutely um well let's move on um from one legacy uh not so good. Oh, rolf's no uh yuji naka not so good. Oh, okay. not so good legacy at this point to something which could have uh, an amazing legacy for years to come um because we have had some leaks this week uh about the last of us part three james um, yes, a game which I think everyone would probably say, of course, they are making a third one. Why would they not? It is massively successful. There's now a TV show, blah, 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 blah. Um, but two internet tipsters um, who uh, are used to giving us scoops on um, uh, Marvel TV shows, movies, um, have been giving us the scoopy scoops around uh, Last of Us Part 3. Um, there's not been a massive amount uh, released, but one of the reasons we want to talk about this is because effectively this is like confirmation that they are actively making um, The Last of Us Part 3, which I think will make a lot of people happy. Um, Naughty Dog itself haven't sort of come out and said anything about Part 3. They've not given us any indication of anything. Um, they've not touched on anything. But we do have some tidbits to mention um, from the leakers. So League, uh, leaker one is Daniel RPK, who has said that the game uh, Part 3 will include five new characters that we know about at this point um, are Lucas, Mason, Val, Ezra, and Gracie, who will reportedly be playing a group of scavengers um, who are living on the outside, uh, the outskirts of a post-apocalyptic city. And I think, Jamie, you made the interesting point, which was, um, given the fact we've got a base of operations for them in the old Victorian house, does that mean that they are effectively a faction? Yeah. Well, because, or, or just not Last of Us Part Three related at all. 
because no, st still to this day, like no one really knows what's going on with that Last of Us multiplayer project, other than the fact that they confirmed it had been delayed, and you know Bungie came in and and now they're reworking it with a probably uh, we from what we met, believe a smaller team. When I hear about, okay, it, it, it doesn't help that they're named and like the the leakers make a lot of references to kind of like filming beginning. It's hard to imagine sort of like narrative cutscenes having a bigger big role within that multiplayer project. But there is still something about this where it's like, oh, a group of survivors, a base of operations. They're like, could these be elements or components of an expanded multiplayer standalone project and not The Last of Us Part 3 as such? Because as you pointed out, the interesting thing about this is is that if this is The Last of Us Part 3, then it doesn't mean the game's out soon, not by a long shot, no. but it means they're further ahead than people thought they were or thought they would be. Yeah, so because I think we talked about before the show that you know when a game like Last of Us Part 2 comes out and it's like week one is done and the Metacritic is like 98. Um, you, I mean, and the sales figures are already looking insane. You've got to know uh, that there's going to be a Part 3. At that point, like, surely they know, yeah. oh, we're making another one. Like, There's no way Sony are going to go, nah, we'll just we'll just call yeah. it there. As well, not just Sony now, because then you've also got to factor in like, other things like the HBO and Sky angle where like they have just adapted the first season of that like as the first game of that series into a TV show which was an absolute goliath and a, and a record breaker on so many different levels they want as much source material as possible and if they can get to the point where in any way shape or form a game and, and a season of television are timed to release uh, even at the same ballpark the same window then that's mutually beneficial all around like that's that's the dream for both uh, you know both sides of that industry no absolutely that um uh and what I can remember the word is like the um the co-option between um those two different formats yeah because it's just going to push each one right it's free advertising yeah exactly exactly there was another bit of interesting information that came from a, a leaker called viewer anon uh who stated and this is interesting to me for a, for a couple of reasons who stated that ellie will be at least as important in part three as she was in the last of us part two which is kind of interesting because if you think of it in the sense of, okay, well, Ellie's the main character. Like, she is the main character. So, of course, she's going to be that. Like, we would assume so. But then, of course, you have to remember that she wasn't actually the only main character in The Last of Part 2. And does yeah. this mean that she is... They're not saying she's the only main character. So, are we going to yeah. see some shenanigans? Or, 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 also, we've had two two games, two main characters. Like why? Why should Ellie still be the protagonist? Like oh, a lot of people. Would... Imagine if she wasn't. Imagine if she's not. I, 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 I absolutely could see a world in which she isn't. What, what left? Well, other than her chasing after the parts of her life that left her behind when she went on her mission, for want of a better way of putting it. Like, what else is there to like? I, I think you need a new, you need a new impetus for her journey. Like you need. I, 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 I think at some point you like a, a, a realistic, believable character has had enough impetuses for one lifetime <laughs> and needs to just put down the gun. Um, uh, I, I don't know. Like I'm very happy with as a fan of the Last of Us Part Two. I was very happy with exactly where they left Ellie. And whilst you know there is some ambiguity about where she was going to go next and what she was going to do. I don't think any of that ambiguity necessarily lends itself lends itself to an entire another game. I see, but, but the, when I said I, I read that that quote with interest was because my brain then went to originally I thought like yeah Ellie's going to be the main character, but then my brain went to 
oh, no, that's maybe a weird way of saying that Ellie is going to be part of the main uh, story, um, as important as she was in part two. But actually, you may well be playing as another character for half the game. You may well be playing as these scavengers. You know, there may be even more characters to get to play as. Um, Could be you, As you've said, I don't think she can now... We can't I, uh, Playing a whole game as Ellie now, I think, might be too much. Um, I agree. I agree. She's been through the ringer, man. Like, we need to just leave poor Ellie alone. Leave Abby alone as well while we're at it. Just leave everyone alone from last of us part two. They've suffered enough and lost enough fingers. Um, I'm glad you bring up Abby because there, ha at this point, there has been no word on whether Abby or Lev will be returning um, uh, to part three. Um, we don't know at all. But no, I enjoy, yeah. I'm kind of with you. I, I, I kind of think maybe you're right. Leave Abby, leave Lev. Um, May, yeah, like Ellie, Ellie could be definitely needs to be an important part of this game for me. But absolutely, she could not be the main character. But she could, yeah, she could be like a, she could be a third. She could be an important uh, elder figure to, um, if we've moved on like a decent chunk of time. Yeah, and like, and, and my interpretation of the ending of the Last of Us Part Two is that whilst it remained to be seen whether or not she went to actively pursue them, I still fully believe that there are parts of Ellie's life that she still actively cares enough for that she would fight for should she have to. I don't want to see her have to do that again because, like I said, at a certain point, the character's been through enough um, and has been tested enough, you know, and you almost don't need to see them run through the ringer again. But if push came to shove, like, she's still a character that, I, yeah, like I said, I believe has things to fight for. I just wonder, like, how liberating, liberating it could be for, for the, the entire team at Naughty Dog to start expanding on their view of the last of us as and 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 while of course you have to find personal and individual stories within it start looking at it as a wider world or as a universe and saying like we could really go well i was about to say we could really go anywhere and you could go to any part of the world at any time and as long as it's about like the effects of like you know the, the 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 this widespread infection and this post-apocalyptic landscape on the people that have remained behind that it's still inherently a last of us project but it would be a little bit strange if it was completely removed from the lineage of the last of us part one and part two because they were a direct sequel to one another so if they called something the last of us part three and like it was a complete to be law of the story right? kind of kind of yeah um, but that's what I'm saying. I feel like Ellie could be, Ellie could be available, and I've, actually now I'm thinking now I'm even saying I feel like Ellie should be available to be a big part in that story, but she shouldn't be the main part of that story. So she could absolutely be, uh, you know, being the one holding things together. She could be the one back at the base who's like trying to. She's now progressed into being, you know, almost like a matriarchal figure trying to hold together a group of survivors, and then you can maybe play as the younger characters were still trying to find their place in the world. And, and actually, we've got some interesting quotes from, uh, or sorry, information from Neil Druckmann back in um, 2021. Neil Druckmann said that The Last of Us Part Three uh, had been penned and he did hope that one day he could see the light of day. That was all back in 21. Um, and actually, earlier this year, we talked about on the podcast, uh, Druckmann um, had reiterated that Naughty Dog would be open to developing a Part 3, but only if the team could come up with a compelling story that has the universal message and statement about love that they were trying to get across um, with the yeah. two parts. So... It is an interesting question, because like you look at those quotes side by side, claiming to have a story outline in 2021, and then claiming in two years later to be open to return to that, story, that project if you can come up with a compelling story, 
does that suggest that the 2021 story got shot down? I I would be surprised if it because it was just an outline. Apparently, I'd be surprised if it yes. didn't get shot down based on like where the where that universe is. With as you've said, you've now got the issue of you've got HBO on board. You've got um, like a maybe a new audience have come on board with like the the, the TV side, um, and we don't know what's happening with the multiplayer project and all that sort of stuff. So do they have to rethink where they're going with a third install because they need to almost I mean, keep it going? Yeah, yeah. Or they could do like a, they could pull a Red Dead and make The Last of Us three, but it's actually a prequel that adds more context to the things that we have now seen and we already know. In that, they bring Joel back. Like it, I'm not, I, I'm not gonna like say like anything in either in favor or against it, but categorically, what I will say is that a a Last of Us Part three starring a young Joel would be one of the most popular moves I think that Nordstone could ever make in terms of public opinion. Because people were very, and still are very salty about uh, some plot points that, that you know took, that took place in the last one's part two. Um, and I think there is absolutely still territory to explore about, like, you know. Oh, like, it's, it's such... all in the intervening years. I was going to say, the, the, it's such fertile ground in that sort of however long they're supposed to be, 10, 20 years from when uh, the death of Sarah all the way through to, um, you know, meeting him in the... Um, uh, the the zone with God, what was her name? S- S- I can't remember. S Tess. Thank you. Uh, yeah, like there's 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 so much there that you can explore. And as you said, like yeah, bringing Joel back would be amazingly popular. Um, it's weird though because I, I I don't know where I'm at. I don't know where I. All right, everyone listen to this who's on YouTube. Um, or even if you're not, if you're on podcasts, head over to the YouTube platform and and give us your opinion. I'm torn. Do I want to see, and I don't know if I want to see a part three that sort of shuts the door on Ellie uh, and like gives them a lovely uh, peachy end of the world. Like they found the place where the plague, where the um, cordyceps is non-existent or they make a cure or the opposite. The world burns, everyone dies. I don't know if I want to finish the story part three or if I want like something a little bit disjointed so they can just carry on in the yeah. world forever. I'm so torn. I, 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 the more I think about it, the less I want to continue the story part three. And the more I think about the Red Dead Redemption 2, the more I'm like, huh. Because when you think about Red Dead Redemption 2, it shouldn't have worked because it took a game that was like a pretty open and shut case. It made a prequel to that game. It hinged its prequel around a character that was completely new and inserted into that story, in spite of the fact that no one in the original game ever mentions them because they they didn't exist yet canonically. Yep. And that character is then had like has a close relationship and or friendship with the protagonist of the original Red Dead Redemption in John Marston, and everything completely worked. And it doesn't matter that like future John Marston or future Dutch never talk about Arthur Morgan. It doesn't matter that you go into Red Dead Redemption two knowing, hey, there's probably going to be a reason why Arthur Morgan isn't in. Like, they can't retroactively add this character into the happenings of the first game. And yet everything it does to add additional context to to John Marston's arc and how meaningful his, you know, the job the DC has to do in Red Dead Redemption 1 are, to the places that people like Dutch and Javier and Bill are in Red Dead Redemption 1, um, everything that's, it's super, super well done, while in its own right crafting a story around Arthur Morgan that is... Un- unbelievably engaging and touching and everything you'd want it to be and 
you know that I have every faith in in Naughty the team at Naughty Dog to to successfully tackle whatever they want. And I know that's probably a tough tough ask, like to to do something to do an equivalent like that for the Last of Us Part Three or whatever they want to call it. But that'd be very interesting. Like if you could create a new character who ends up being a seamless insert in a prequel who interacts with Joel in a way that like adds or embellishes Joel, adds to or embellishes Joel's character going forward. So you can almost replay one and two with a different perspective on that character. Like that's just a very interesting prospect. That I would I would love that so much. Like, and especially if like you said if if it has that thing of then it makes you almost if they could write it so well that it also almost retroactively makes you go that's why he and and it's that kind of feel yeah but no you're you're right like they, they've absolutely done it in the past i think and it's not to the same level as that but like i thought that about rogue one like i thought they did such right. a good job but yeah great marriage. shout like you and it's it's kind of like how this always had to have existed of course it did and you just didn't know the story and yeah, o- opposite are really to like the writing of something like Black Adam. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> no, I'm gonna stop that. Um, but no, yeah, I you've now you've got me now. I want a prequel that gives more flavor to Joel. Yeah, and his and his like relationships. Even if there's like a throwaway story, like Joel, I don't, let's say Joel says something randomly at the beginning of uh, part one to Tess, where he's like, "Don't you remember that time back in Boston or whatever?" And like the gate and part three is about that time back in Boston and these characters that are hinted at but never mentioned by name. And now we're seeing those stories fleshed out. And like, yeah, when I th- like I said, when I think about what Red Dead Redemption 2 managed to do for John Marston while still being a game about Arthur Morgan, like very, very deftlessly judged and juggled. Um, and like lo- even little things that you just never thought about. But like, actually, yeah, you will see how John Marston got those weird scars in his face and you will see what his relationship with with abigail is like or you will see what jack's upbringing was like you will see how they built their house that they live in in the first game like all these little touches that are completely not unnecessary but like almost could be trivial but it just so it's just character building to it's well, also, some of the best it's also such an interesting idea because you and with this is often the case with like you know post, post-apocalyptic zombie world kind of stuff is that you have you have like the zombies when they become zombies that initial kind of like everyone's turning into zombies and then you have the uh this sort of uh, drudgery of living in these zones where you're sort of marshaled by a, a pop-up army or whatever they're called in um, uh in the last of us but you then have this ground in the middle where you could have had all hell is breaking loose most people aren't yet turned into zombies um, there are humans just trying to still trying to live in a, in a world that doesn't exist anymore. You've also got people trying to take advantage of the fact that the world, as we know it, is dying. And if you could if you could play Joel in that section of that game, so we're not where it's kind of as crazy as the Last of Us Part One is, where you know you have the initial outbreak and uh, and all of that. But it's kind of the days after that, and then maybe like f- a few years after, where it's everything settling into the new world. So you get the rise of the the uh, military factions. You get the rise of how we how do we live? How do we actually get on with this? What's going on? Yeah. Oh, this that's yeah. That's... It would be very cool. The the only reservation that I'm st- would have that I just sort of like considered the, there, the, as you would say, of the fireflies. You yeah you would the, the, you would have a lot of really interesting things. The only thing that I thought of just then, as you were saying that, that would be a bit of a bummer, is it would be very hard to do through all the things that you could touch upon through a game like that. It'd be very hard to touch upon anything that builds into Joel's relationship with Ellie. 
and that's such a defining part of the games that would be to come. Yeah. Um, because we've already seen so much of that relationship almost in real time, right? Like, and the parts we haven't seen largely exist in the gap between where The Last of Us Part 1 and The Last of Us Part 2 were set. Um, and so it would be a... That is the one thing that I would think would be a downside. But it wouldn't be a game breaker. No, no, not at all. Well, blimey. Yeah, let us know what you think in the comments down below. If you, uh, what you think they'll do, if you think there'll be a Part 3 with uh you know mainly ellie if you think they'll go to a prequel joe if you think they should do prequels instead of uh, uh doing another post call sequel yeah um uh but with that jamie i think given that there weren't many stories today and they were pretty light on the ground i think we've done quite well um like i said if you want to check out some more nick cage stuff head over to a uh, platform of your choice and enjoy it because there's many <laughs> other compilations out there. and if you're a nick cage fan like we are you'll be uh doing yourself a favor all that's left for me to do is to say if you want to check us out, as I said, we are YouTube and Twitter at Super Show Pod. We're available on podcasting platforms as well. Um, and we will be back again the same time next week, uh, for hopefully for a live show. Um, but if we're not, we will let you know if it's going to be pre-recorded. Um, thanks so much, Jamie. Thank you for uh, your wisdom, as always, and your insights. Much appreciated. Thank you for being such a wonderful and generous host, as always, Jonesy. It's a pleasure. Thank you very much, mate. Um, yeah, we'll see you soon. Bye. Bye.